Mic check one two. Okay, I think I think we're good. That was that was a little strange. Some technical difficulties to begin the episode. Gotta love that. Well, regardless, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host Zach Cronin, and I hope everybody is doing well, mentally, physically, and emotionally. I hope everybody is um, recovering from their hangovers if they got a little bit too drunk during Independence Day. Um, I certainly did, but I'm doing. I'm doing pretty well. Um, yeah, just, you know, a little tired, a little dehydrated, but that never hurt nobody. And, well, uh, what's going on here? Okay, so there has been a little bit of uh, news circling around with the Brooklyn Nets. Of course, there has been nothing happening on the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Finally, at least nothing substantial. There have been minor reports um, Pat, Pat McAfee Shams actually went on the Pat McAfee show, I believe, on Tuesday, and they were discussing all things Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Just to quickly summarize that, uh, nothing has really changed other than the reports that there has been, um, like, initial discussions between the Lakers and the Nets in regards to a Kyrie's Ir- in regards to a Kyrie Irving trade, although that doesn't appear to have any traction right now. Outside of that, Phoenix is still Kevin Durant's preferred destination if he were to get traded. There is, of course, also the possibility that a trade doesn't happen at all. Of course, the Nets are not, um, they don't have to trade either of these guys away. Um, there is the notion that both of these guys could return to Brooklyn for this upcoming season and that ultimately I don't really give a fuck about all that because you don't have to like your you don't have to like your co-workers but if you can go out and win a title together which of course this team is more than capable of doing with a healthy Kevin Durant and with a healthy Kyrie Irving you just kind of you just kind of deal with it that's the, that's really the um the best explanation that I have, or that's really just like my take on the whole situation, which of course I talked about ad nauseum last week. Um, something new that has transpired with Brooklyn was they have been relatively active in the free agents in the uh, in free agency, and I say relatively active, and this is coming as of Tuesday morning, was that they went out and they signed both T.J. Warren, bubble legend, T.J. Warren, bubble MVP. I think is the more appropriate name for him. They signed TJ Warren. They also signed Edmund Summer, both of whom spent their most recent seasons with the Indiana Pacers. And these are two signings which I think are going to work out quite well for Brooklyn. TJ Warren in particular is a, is a fantastic signing because although he's coming off of an injury, I believe he was dealing with a stress fracture in his foot last year he's still a guy who you can bring off the bench and who can give you like 17 18 20 points um with with relatively decent efficiency i'm just looking so the one thing that you know people might be a little skeptical with of tj warren is of course his health he has never really been a guy who could play 70 75 80 games actually the most games that he's played in the season is 67 which happened two years ago or three years ago technically not 
um, the season before this past one, but the one before this past one. So he's been dealing with shit on and off for the majority of his career, but the numbers don't lie. When this dude is on the court, he's giving you buckets. I mean, this is a dude who, as I already mentioned, was good for like 20 points or so over the um, last four or five years, gets you know, great shots, has decent size, can shoot from pretty much wherever on the court, is very efficient. And in today's NBA, you have to have dudes on the wing who can score. And of course, this Brooklyn Nets roster with how it's looking right now, they have one of those guys in Kevin Durant. But if, you know, shit does get a little rocky, and we know the health of KD and Kyrie is kind of up in the air, having insurance in someone like TJ Warren, I think, is is absolutely vital. Uh, he really helps fill out this roster. Of course, Patty Mills is coming back, but he isn't the same um, scoring threat that TJ Warren is. There is, of course, Cam Thomas, who really didn't get too much run towards the second half of this past season, which I think was kind of a disservice to him. But so it goes. Sometimes your coaches just mismanage your rotations, and there's really there's really nothing that you can do about that. Additionally, the other signing was Edmund Sumner, who missed last season with an Achilles tear. And Edmund Sumner is someone who also fills a need for the Brooklyn Nets, and that Sumner has the potential to be a very reliable 3 and D guy. Before suffering his Achilles injury, I think he was shooting like uh, around 40% from three or so, like 39, 40%. I'm just going to pull up his numbers right now. This was, of course, this was during the 2020-2021 season, pardon me, and in 53 games with Indiana shot a little bit less than 40%, also averaged close to two steals per game per 100 possessions, and doing so at 6'4", like 6'5"-ish, does give him a little bit of versatility on the perimeter. I still think, however, that... Brooklyn's biggest issue and one that they are going to have to eventually patch this summer is that they still don't really have that much size. They are not a particularly big team. Um, we, we know Ben Simmons is a big guy, you know, 6'10", 6'11", whatever he is, but he's not a center. And they do have Nick Claxton who brings great size as well, but they don't have anyone off the bench, at least at this juncture, where they can play like a backup five or somewhere like someone who fits that play style, which could prove to be a little detrimental to them, especially if they see Boston in the postseason again, who can trot out two seven footers and basically decimate Brooklyn's um, small lineup. But we'll see. This free agency has been very fascinating because with the news of Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving coming out there has been a lar- there has been a tremendous standstill in regards to teams that are making moves like at least in regards to trades and signings and stuff like that because I saw the tweet you know few teams have reached out to Brooklyn about trading for Kevin Durant when in reality by the end of the summer every team will have approached Brooklyn with some sort of package because when a guy like Kevin Durant enters the or gets put on the trade block as we assume that he is you are going to want to be involved in that sweepstakes and in order to be involved in that sweepstakes you need to have 
a multitude of both present assets and future assets. As I mentioned last last week, Brooklyn is looking for an all-star level player, a handful of picks, pick swaps, a young role player, stuff like that. They are literally asking for the farm because they can. Because if KD is like, I want to go, he knows what he's going to command, especially since Rudy Gobert just got like four first-round picks or Utah just got four first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. Like, that's Rudy Gobert, dude. That's not Kevin Durant who is playing some of the best basketball of his career at this point. So, yeah, that's where we're at right now. Brooklyn is still trying to salvage this roster. I think I saw a video of Shams on Pat McAfee where he says that Brooklyn is still going to go about this free agency. They're going to go about this free agency with the expectation that KD and Kyrie will be on the team this upcoming season. So we already saw they went ahead. They re-signed um, Patty Mills. Unfortunately, they lost Bruce Brown, who went to Denver, which I think is a great signing for them. But again, signing someone like TJ Warren, a secondary scoring option, who you can start or bring off the bench if you need a little bit of if you need a little bit of shot creation with the reserves, which also proved to be an issue for them this past season was that they had guys who could score off the bench, but there really wasn't a reliable shot creator who they could give the ball to when both Kyrie and KD were sitting or were out or whatever. Ideally, you would stagger the minutes of KD and Kyrie, but sometimes you just you're just going to have to rest both of them. And when that when that situation arises, you need somebody like TJ Warren who who can get the ball and just find a way to get a couple buckets, just keep everything running smoothly until KD and Kyrie check in again. And I feel that they patched that whole, as always, perimeter defense is something that they will continue to, uh, or that they will need to continue to build on. I think Edmund Summer can fulfill that role. I saw someone on the timeline compare Edmund Summer kind of to David Nwaba, who was with Brooklyn a couple years ago. Someone who isn't the most talented player, but plays hard, plays with intensity, especially on defense, and then also has the size and athleticism to match that intensity and again you're in a conference where there is now Malcolm Brogdon who is on the Boston Celtics of course Jason Tatum um, Jalen Brown Jalen Brunson now in New York now with the Knicks although I don't know what that future is going to be like because uh, sort of source people are saying that the Knicks are going to be penalized for tampering with Jalen Brunson because the reports of a contract being the reports of his contract being signed were coming out before the free agency period was beginning. And we know that every team tampers, even though, you know, I love to poke fun at the Knicks, I love to, you know, make jokes at the expense of the at the expense of the Knicks, at least when it comes to tampering, like every team tampers, dude. To single out the Knicks, be like, oh, we're going to, you know, potentially punish you guys for tampering and signing Jalen Brunson before you were allowed to. I just think it, it's annoying. It's stupid. Tampering rules should not exist. This is my, this is probably my warmest or my most scorching take is that I think that tampering rules are bullshit and it would just make everything way more entertaining, especially for a league where there is so much drama surrounding these teams. 
surrounding these players. But just getting, you know, getting back on track here, you're going to need someone who can match up with Jalen Brunson, with LaMelo Ball, with Tyler Hero, with Jimmy Butler, and Edmund Sumner could potentially be that guy. Of course, we have to see how he bounces back from his Achilles injury. But, you know, if what's gone on with Kevin Durant is anything to be optimistic about, he'll recover just fine. And then again, this is a guy who is... This is also a guy who doesn't have to play a considerable amount of minutes. This is a guy who doesn't have, you know, such um he doesn't have such a tremendous strain being put on his body. I don't think. Of course, I could be wrong. There's really no way to accurately gauge how how um certain athletes bounce back from different injuries, but so far, you know, I don't hate these two signings. I think they're fine. Um, unfortunately, I'm just waiting for Woj and Shams to tweet something definitive about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because I just, I simply cannot take the suspense anymore. I just want to know, are these guys going to be on the team for this upcoming season? And even if they're not, even if they are getting traded, I would prefer that happen sooner than later because as I, as I mentioned last week, like this is the type of trade that greatly impacts not just Brooklyn but the entire league it will have a seismic shake up it will have a seismic effect on the rest of the league because especially if we're talking about a team like the Phoenix Suns you know if KD were to go to Phoenix which I don't think is going to happen I don't think they have the assets to make that happen like you're looking at Phoenix, who just got bounced in the second round. Like, okay, they got KD, they got Devin Booker, because I I don't think he's tradable at this point since he just signed his um since he just signed a max extension. You know, Chris Paul. You know, maybe they'll trade away McCall Bridges and DeAndre Ayton, but yeah, you're losing those guys. But you're bringing on Kevin Durant, who is arguably the best player in the NBA, if not the best player, one of the three best players in the NBA. But like, there really is. No, there really is no way to accurately predict what's going to happen with KD because anything can happen. And, you know, all the major reporters have been quiet. There have been only minor tweaks on certain updates. And, yeah, like, you can realistically say that Kevin Durant is going to go somewhere and you'll be right just because... Brooklyn doesn't give a fuck about where Kevin Durant wants to go. Brooklyn gives a fuck about who's going to give them the best package. And I still, at this point, think that it's the New Orleans Pelicans. I love a potential um, I love a potential trade involving Brandon Ingram and Larry Nance Jr., plus any additional draft comp- compensation that New Orleans may have. And what makes it, you know, what would make it a little sweeter is that Kevin Durant, who is seemingly... Um, I guess disillusioned with the franchise after everything, after how they, um, I guess ruined their relationship with Kyrie Irving. It would just make it so much sweeter for him to go not to a contender. Because I saw this thing yesterday that oh, Kevin Durant would prefer to play with two All Star level players, and these are the kinds of reports that make me feel that this stuff is even more bullshit because. Why? Like, I I still, I cannot understand why Kevin Durant would want to go elsewhere. It doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to me. Why he would leave Brooklyn where he has a chance to 
you know, almost like rewrite the perception of his legacy, at least to the casual fan, why he would want to leave this situation and go somewhere where he once again just becomes the league's punching bag, like going to team up with multiple stars. I don't understand it. Um, but then again, I'm just an outsider. So it doesn't really matter. What I it doesn't really matter what the fuck I what the fuck I think about it. So um just to elaborate on what happened with Kyrie Irving, Shams, or I think it was Shams was talking about how there were initial talks on a potential trade between the Lakers and Oh shit, I'm such a fucking idiot. Kyrie Irving's saga continues to take several twists and turns, and the latest information suggests there is no traction in a potential trade that would send Irving to the LA Lakers, according to Shams. The Lakers are one of Irving's preferred suitors if he were to be traded from the Brooklyn Nets, and previous reports suggest or suggested a potential deal that could be done that would involve swapping Irving and Russell Westbrook, according to Chris Haynes. However, Sharanya said Tuesday he's not sure we will see a deal that sends Irving to the Lakers as the Nets continue to try and find the best value in trades for both Irving and Durant. Irving recently opted into the final year of his deal worth $36.4 million, but after his all-star teammate Kevin Durant requested a trade from the Nets. It's been widely considered the All-Star Guard will be moved as well. Quote, if Kevin Durant is on the first train out, Kyrie Irving will be on the caboose as far as the Nets are concerned, said Brian Windhorst. Brian Windhorst. I don't know why I said Brian. Coming off a season, oh, pardon me, in which he played just 29 games because he refused to receive the COVID-19 vaccine and given his previous injury history, Irving hasn't played 70 games in a season since 2017 when he was still with Cleveland. The market for the mercurial guard is understandably not as robust as the one for Durant. The Lakers, though, have very little to lose. Irving represents their best chance to add talent this summer, and he has a previous relationship with LeBron James. Both players will be hitting free agency. Oh, I, I just fucking lost my place. Both players will be hitting free agency next season, and the Lakers are trying to squeeze one more title out of the LeBron and Anthony Davis pairing. Irving has his fair share of negatives, but on the court, he would be a much better fit than Westbrook and would greatly increase the Lakers' title odds. Irving, yes, is a better fit for the Lakers, but the main reason this deal doesn't happen is because Brooklyn is the obvious loser in this situation, and this isn't a dig at Russell Westbrook. He's a fine player. He just does not fit on Brooklyn. Brooklyn would not benefit from adding him because all of for all of the reasons that we love Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn, those are all of the reasons why Russell Westbrook would not fit in Brooklyn. He cannot shoot. He's not a floor spacer. He's someone who can get to the free throw line, but he is not a consistent foul shooter. Uh, he's high usage. He's high turnover. He's high assist. I don't see any of those as negatives. Really just because, again, of the fact that he's high usage. But you cannot play him and Ben Simmons together. And I've been saying this for weeks. Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook will not fit together. Does Russ fit on the Lakers? Um, I don't think so. But I think that he's a worse fit for Brooklyn than he is with the Lakers. 
Of course, trading Westbrook is much easier said than said than done. The Lakers have been trying to do so since the middle of the season, just months after they originally acquired him. He recently opted into the final year of his contract, which is worth $43 million, which makes him a tricky trade from a logical perspective. Plus, there's the fact that he's well past his prime, but still needs the ball in his hands the majority of the time to be effective. There really aren't any basketball situations that make sense, but the Nets are in a bad spot after the, after the Durant trade request and might be willing to take Westbrook, Westbrook on. I can't fucking talk today. I'm so out of it. On as an expiring contract if they can move Irving and coax some concessions out of the Lakers. In particular, the Nets will be eager to acquire some draft picks given how many they owe the Houston Rockets in the coming years via the James Harden trade. I think what gets overlooked quite frequently in the Russell Westbrook saga is that the Lakers never should have traded for him in the first place. It was not a trade that the Lakers should have done. They should not have traded away all of their role players for Russell Westbrook, <clears throat> whom everyone knew would not fit well because of the fact that he can't shoot and because he's really not as big of a threat off the ball as somebody like DeMar DeRozan, who, if we remember back a few months ago, Magic Johnson was like, oh, it's LeBron's fault that the Lakers got Westbrook instead of DeMar. Meanwhile, the opposite, like literally the opposite of that was true. It was Rob Polinka and the front office who essentially said no to DeMar DeRozan and yes to Russell Westbrook, despite the fact that LeBron was in constant communication with DeMar and was sowing the seeds of DeMar coming home wearing purple and gold. And I'm sure a large part of LeBron's fascination with DeRozan was the fact that he is a proven he is a proven secondary star. Meaning that while yes, DeMar DeRozan does have quite a lot of success creating for himself even though, you know, he can't he can't space the floor either. There are still other ways that DeMar gets his buckets. Like just because he can't shoot from the 3 doesn't mean that he's a detriment to your offense. I mean, this guy just averaged like 26 points a game with the Chicago Bulls. He is simply an old-school scorer, whereas Russell Westbrook isn't a scorer or a shot creator in the same way that DeMar Rosen was. So the fact that the Lakers are trying to do Westbrook so dirty, I think is just... I think it's an indictment on the organization, the front office. I don't think that this is anyone's fault other than... Rob Polinka, <clears throat> pardon me. Perhane's draft compensation is currently one of the biggest sticking points in completing a trade, which could be a reason this potential trade hasn't gained any traction. The Lakers also are also out of a bunch of future draft picks via the Anthony Davis deal and were previously unwilling to attach future first-round picks to move Westbrook. If they can get Irving, though, it may be worth the price. Furthermore, the teams apparently don't agree on the other players involved, most notably the Nets want to move Joe Harris, who has two years and $38.6 million remaining on his contract while coming off of ankle surgery, while the Lakers are pushing to get Seth Curry. Instead, as Sharanya reported, it does not appear a deal is imminent at this point, but as time passes, both sides could eventually agree to a trade that will reunite Irving and LeBron and wearing purple and gold. Now, all of these guys being mentioned, most um, in particular, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. If KD and Kyrie are both moved, that is essentially the Nets moving on to the next stage of their... It, it's the Nets moving on to 
their rebuild. And there has been a lot of dialogue on Nets Twitter regarding this, like what went wrong with the organization? Because it seems that ever since Josiah took over, um, it's been downhill. And while there are, you know, there's really not one area in particular, I think that above all else, it's been more basketball related than not. Because you look at how um, spectacularly the Nets failed this season. You go back last year, them getting bounced in the semis. Kyrie gets hurt. KD, um, KD's foot is on the line at the end of the game. And at the end of game seven, and it's a two instead of the game winning three. And you combine that with how, you know, Kevin Durant and the front office relationship is strained is strained largely because, like, the relationship between the front office and Kyrie Irving is strained. I just think that, above all else, Brooklyn got unlucky with these, with this, um, with their acquisition of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And it's not the signings themselves that were unlucky. It was just everything that transpired afterwards. And there is a large piece of any prolonged success in the NBA that is reliant on just being lucky. I don't think the organization did anything. I can't even say that. I'm sure the organization did stuff wrong behind the scenes. Um, Again, I feel the need to have to um, quantify it every time, but their stance on Kyrie Irving, I think, was um, ill-advised. Their hardcore stance on him not playing, their staunchness on him not playing, I think, was ill-advised. Um, ultimately, I think that they're running into the same problems that really any organization runs into, is that when you have an owner who is, you know, a multi-billionaire, um, you know, super fucking hyper-capitalist mindset, um, there is, of course, always going to be a difference in philosophy. I don't know what Josiah is like. I know that he tends to be very present. He does have, um, he does make himself available at games on social media, but ultimately he's still a mega, he's still a multi-billionaire. And his philosophy might be a little different. Uh, the organization did become increasingly more corporate after Josai took over. You know, they unfollowed all of their fans on Twitter, which, you know, I'm not really one to deal with all that bullshit because at the end of the day, like, regardless, Brooklyn is a corporation. And it was just different when they sucked because, like, they could lean into the culture thing a little bit more. But that's because there weren't any expectations. Like, they were still a corporation, but they were able to hide it more because everything is magnified when you're contending for a championship. Every little thing you do is microanalyzed. Is everyone hyper focuses on every little thing that you do, and not just when you're a contender, but when you're a contender in the largest media market in the United States. That's just how it goes. So, uh, kind of a little bit of a tangent. I low-key forgot, like, I low-key forgot what the fuck I was talking about. Just to, just so you guys can see, I am super, I am super um, lost in the sauce. But I guess just doubling back to everything with Joe Harris, like, if Brooklyn knows that they're going to move KD and Kyrie, they are obviously going to move Joe Harris as well. Much like the first time 
this happened, they moved Harris and D'Lo and Jared Allen to bring to usher in this new era. Once KD and Kyrie are gone, Joe Harris will have to be moved as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if those two guys get moved, if um, KD and Kyrie both get moved, if Joe Harris doesn't formally make a trade request because he's 29, he's 28, 29, somewhere around there. He's coming off of ankle surgery, but I still think that he will be a, he will still be able to give a team meaningful minutes. And he has just evolved so much since coming into the NBA that I think teams will be foaming at the mouth to bring him on, especially on the contract that he's on. Two years, it's like $18 million a year, something like that, for a guy who is, when healthy, arguably the best three-point shooter in the league, is someone who is comfortable um, operating in an offense that prioritizes ball movement, player movement, someone who is a fantastic cutter, you know, shades of Clay Thompson in his game, but can also put the ball on the deck, can be a little bit of a facilitator, obviously not in like a full-time floor general role, but someone who can help extend plays, who can find the open man when coming off of screens, whether they're pin downs, whether they're curls, whether he's operating in the pick and roll. So I think that, you know, obviously, again, if KD and Kyrie get moved, Joe Harris will... Joe Harris will be next um will be next on the chopping block. Oh, okay, here's here's this report about the alleged tampering, not the alleged, the one, the Knicks definitely tampered the sign Jalen Brunson, but ultimately I don't care about that because it makes everything more entertaining. Jalen Brunson reportedly decided before free agency officially opened to sign with the Knicks, is there any way New York didn't tamper with Brunson while he was still under contract with the Mavericks? The situation has numerous layers. The Knicks hired Brunson's father, Rick, as an assistant. Knicks president Leon Rose is a longtime family friend of the Brunsons. Rose's son, Sam Rose, is Jalen Brunson's agent. Knicks executives, William Knicks executives, William Wesley and Allen Houston and forward Julius Randle attended a Mavs Jazz playoff game in Dallas. But this is also a classic case of a team losing a player and being upset about it. Fred Katz of The Athletics says, quote, From what I've gathered, the Mavericks are quite frustrated with the Knicks, and not just because reports of a finished deal came out before New York was even allowed to speak with Brunson, though I'm not sure how tampering rules account for father-son relationships. And this situation involves two of those. Dallas wasn't thrilled about Knicks executives William Wesley showing up courtside to a Mavs Jazz playoff game either. People I talk to around the league expect the Knicks to get deemed for tampering. Uh, the, NBA, the NBA's tampering enforcement seems arbitrary, but a common aspect of tampering cases is a team complaining. If the Mavericks are frustrated enough to file a complaint, the Knicks are more likely to get investigated. Brunson could just deny the credible-sounding report that turned out to be accurate. He could claim he didn't hear from the Knicks until free agency opened and didn't make up his mind until after that. That Sham Sharania of the Athletic had it wrong. If the Knicks tampered, all the familial ties between them and Brunson increased the likelihood that there's no paper trail. It would have been easy enough to convey plans in face-to-face -face conversations that could be denied. Besides, 
If the Knicks tampered only after Dallas's season ended, it's hard to get worked up about that. Though that technically violate the CBA, it doesn't violate the spirit of why tampering rules were originally implemented to protect teams while they were still competing. That said, there should be consistent enforcement. It's unfair that only some teams get punished for breaking a rule that's practically universally broken. Plus, the Knicks might have had contacted Brunson during Dallas' season. That's far less expected. Or accepted. Pardon me. Or maybe the Knicks didn't contact Brunson early at all. That's strange credulity, but it is possible. If the only evidence is Knicks personnel attending the Mavericks playoff game, there's precedent to allow that. As far as Brunson's deal leaking early... If the NBA is putting the Knicks under a microscope because of that, the league should look into all the teams that reach deals with free with free agents within minutes of free agency opening. Those are practically as incredible as New York's agreement with arrangement with Brunson. So, yeah, as this article mentions, courtesy of Dan Feldman and NBC Sports, tampering is only an issue when teams make it an issue. I think Dallas is, of course, upset that they're losing Brunson. Um, I think that them, I think that they would have been upset regardless of losing Brunson because he's a fantastic young player. He fucking saved their asses when Luca was out during the postseason, and losing such a key piece to your roster is crushing for any team, especially when really everyone knows that you have no shot like there were there was only two teams involved in the Brunson sweepstakes and it was Dallas and the Knicks and of course all of the familiar the familial ties to the Knicks probably only made it worse for Dallas because at that point there's like really nothing else they can do I think more than anything else it was pretty much everyone in the Mavericks organization knowing that they weren't even going to have a chance to persuade Brunson. It seemed like his mind was made up. He wants to go play with his he wants to go play um he wants to go work with his dad. He wants to go work with um you know extended family it seems like. And one thing that really uh I guess it doesn't really bother me about tampering but like it's what's annoying about the league's tampering rules is how they are almost never applied. And I'm saying this as someone who thinks, again, tampering should not exist or like tampering rules should not exist. But every time free agency starts, whenever there is a deadline, whenever there is like that 6 p.m. deadline, I mean, Shams literally had tweets scheduled for 6.01. When free agency began, this fool sent out like 13 tweets of players being signed. Obviously, a couple of those were teams re-signing or were players re-signing with their current teams, which in some instances, that makes sense. Like, obviously, Nikola Jokic is going to re-sign with Denver. Ooh, pardon me. Obviously, Devin Booker is going to re-sign with Phoenix. But, like, he had these tweets in the chamber. And... Additionally, when the NBA does level a tamp uh, does levy a punishment for tampering, it's like it doesn't do anything to dissuade from tampering. It doesn't void that player's contract. It doesn't void the trade that already went down that we were seeing with um 
I think it was when Lonzo Ball was going to Chicago, like there was that whole thing with Lonzo Ball and Kyle Lowry and how the league was investigating that. And uh, I can't remember if anybody got fined, but like the the NBA's tampering punishment is fines and maybe like the um the stripping away of draft picks. Like, dude, are teams really going to give a fuck about that? No, they're not. That's not de- you're not dissuading anybody. It's kind of just like a gentleman's agreement that you won't do anything that is super egregious. And I do also think that I do also think that to a degree if teams were approaching certain players or if teams were approaching players during the season, I think that there are I think that the players would kind of just tell those teams to fuck off because 99% of the time, the players are fixated on their current situation, especially if you are someone like Jalen Brunson. Although Dallas maybe was never like a legitimate contender, they they made a deep playoff run, as many people expected them to. And I'm sure that Jalen Brunson is fixated on that and that he only really entertained leaving Dallas once, once that series was over. Because even, and let's play this hypothetical. Even if Jalen Brunson decided, like, during the All-Star break, that he's going to play for the Knicks, it did not impact his play at all. This guy was a leading six-man-of-the-year candidate to begin the season. He just put in the best season of his career. He was getting buck—he was fucking putting his dick all over the Utah Jazz, like, arguably the best player on the court for that series. Like, it did not impact his play. But ultimately, there there is really there is really no take in this situation because the Dallas Mavericks are upset that they lost Jalen Brunson and they're making a big deal out of it, knowing that the league is going to do something but not really do anything. Because are we going to like Dallas is going to tamper at some point in the future? Okay, every team tampers, and. You know, maybe Dallas is like falling on the sword, and they and they're like, you know, the arbiters of purity, and they're like, oh, we're never going to tamper in the future. But again, like every team tampers. This is not a foreign occurrence. It's just a matter of do you benefit from the tampering or do you not? And when you fail to benefit from tampering, that is when you're going to bring attention to the league office. But if you're benefiting from tampering, like you don't give a fuck at that point. So there really, like, again, there really was no fucking news that came on, that came out of the NBA in the last week or so. Um, yeah, you know, football's coming back, I guess. There really wasn't any story that piqued my interest in regards to the NFL. Um, it did, it was actually just reported this morning that the late wide receiver Demarius Thomas was diagnosed with stage two CTE, which of course is horrifying. And, you know, I just, you, there really is nothing to say except, you know, to give your condolences to, to his family. Like that's, um, that's really all I can offer up on the matter. My fucking Wi-Fi is absolutely down tremendous right now and I don't know why what the fuck is going on 
Are we back? Okay, are we back to normal? Um, I think that, again, the... Uh, at least in regards to um, this situation with Demarius Thomas, like, I think it's going to once again reignite the uh, debate around just the safety of football and... Like the more like the more philosophical questions that maybe not NFL players are gonna ask because like obviously they are committed to it. Like they all know the risk. NFL players know the risk. I am dropping frames so badly right now and I don't know why. What the fuck is going on? Alright, I think I think we're good. It's probably just like everyone else in my house being on the Wi Fi like everyone being home the day after the 4th of July but it's going to reignite like the philosoph the philosophical questions that parents of young children are going to you know ask themselves like do you want your children playing football or at least tackle football um especially when they're young when they're 10 when they're 11 when they're 12 and like i really i don't know if i have an answer at least me as someone who doesn't have children i would be hesitant to enroll my children in football just because of like the possibility granted i don't think that they would go you know to the nfl because i don't have like spectacular athletic genes but like you never know and just the possibility of them being concussed when they're younger when they're in high school cuz like there are some big motherfuckers who play high school football, and you don't know how many undiagnosed concussions your children are suffering. And I think that also just me being a basketball fan before anything else, that would be the one sport that I would enroll my kid in first, just because that is my favorite sport. Um, also baseball, just because baseball money is fucking insane. But here, let's go ahead. We're, let's actually, let's go ahead and and read through this article seven months after the death after the unexpected death of former broncos wide receiver demarius thomas doctors from boston university have revealed thomas suffered from stage two cte late in his life as the new york times reported and thomas's family announced doctors previously indicated that thomas thomas died from a seizure stemming from a 2019 car crash but the degenerative brain disease contributed to increasingly erratic behavior beforehand ken belson reports the last year of Thomas's life was, quote, marked by memory loss, paranoia, and isolation that are hallmarks of CTE, Belson wrote, citing those close to the late wide receiver. Boston University's medical team on Tuesday agreed with previous consensus that Thomas likely died due to complications from his car crash, noting that seizures, quote, attacked with little or no warning and led Thomas to wreck car and led Thomas to wreck other cars and fall down the steps. But the former first-round draft pick who announced his NFL retirement just months before his death had family concerned about his well-being before the seizures began in 2020. Thomas's family has released the findings of Boston University CTE Center's brain study through the Concussion Legacy Foundation to raise awareness of CTE. Stage 2 CTE is associated with progressive behavior, cognitive, and mood abnormalities per CLF. Thomas developed depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and memory troubles before his death. Quote, he had two different conditions in parallel. Dr. Anne McGee, a neurologist and leading authority on CTE, told the Times. McGee had diagnosed more than 300 
former NFL players with CTE and advocates through CLF for the public at large to stop ignoring the risks of American football and insist that the game be changed to reduce subconcussive hits and that athletes be comprehensively evaluated at the beginning and end of every season. Katrina Thomas, uh, Katrina Smith, Thomas's mother, revealed to the Times that the former Broncos star informed her after retiring that quote his his peripheral vision was diminished, while his father, Bobby Thomas, said that the receiver's paranoia increased late in life quote to the point he never left home without a gun. Roughly a year before his death, per Belson, Thomas planned for a potential NFL comeback were put on hold were put on the back burner amid increasing dependence on medical care such as anti-seizure medication ozone therapy and hyperbaric chamber treatment Thomas retired as one of Okay and we are back Okay Yeah It's just it is of course, very sad what Demarius Thomas went through, and again, as I was say, as I was saying before, the article started like we. What really fucking sucks about this is that every time that there is a any athlete or I guess NFL player who is diagnosed with CTE and you know succumbs to an untimely death, whether it is Demarius Thomas, whether it is I believe Junior Seau was the former football player who committed suicide whether it's Aaron Hernandez who um obviously you know is like the uh, uh, worst case scenario for anybody suffering with CTE is that these are only going to become more and more prevalent as the years go on because the medicine is going to get better the science is going to get better and it's going to reach a point where we're just you know repeatedly talking about this it's like oh what could be done to prevent it like oh there there's nothing we can do outside of what we're already doing but like that is very clearly not the case like there is more that the NFL could be doing whether it is being more um proactive with you know um their study of with the, they could be more proactive with studying the brains of their athletes and just running more rigorous medical checks i mean we already know we already know that the NFL is not exactly like the most progressive league when it comes to looking after their athletes, like there are so many guys who have like developed painkiller addictions. I mean, this is, you know, in the NBA as well. This isn't limited to just football. It's just more of like things coming to light and the leagues being forced to change. But the NFL is going to be at a very interesting place in a couple of years if they don't really do anything to try to mitigate these risks because I believe that there are going to be a ton of parents who do not let their children play football because of these risks and especially when you compare football to a sport like rugby which is the most um which is the closest comparison like rugby players do not deal with this and some of it is I think a large portion of it is the fact that rugby players since you don't wear I'll, you don't wear a, a significant amount of protection in rugby. You do have to be mindful of how harding of how hard you're hitting your opponent because you will receive that same that same um, level of I can't fucking talk today. I'm so I'm like just so fucking I am literally like dumb as fuck right now. But like in rugby, since you're not wearing pads, the amount of pain that you deliver 
to the ball carrier is going to be pushed back onto you because in football you can hide behind the pads and you can lay someone the fuck out and you know put a hurt on them and not really get reciprocated the same um and not really deal with the same consequences but i'm yeah dude i just i'm very um, apprehensive and opt and uh pessimistic that like the nfl actually does something about this because i just think that it's going to get to a point where you constantly have athletes who are dealing with all of these all of the negative effects of cte and just the nfl not giving enough of a fuck to want to change it kind of like when it comes to um, gun violence in the united states there are people like oh there is no way to prevent this meanwhile like literally every other country has developed ways to not have a fucking mass shooting every day and it's like football there are other sports who are who have high levels of contact but at least as of now their athletes aren't dealing with the same rate of brain degeneration that football players are so whether it's advancements in helmet technology you know more secure helmets that prevent your fucking head from rattling around and therefore like preventing your brain from rattling around inside your head while your head is rattling around inside of the helmet whether it's advancements in that technology whether it's advancements in just like the medical portion of the nfl um yeah i don't, I don't know i'm not a, i'm not a doctor i'm not a researcher i don't know if there's also like any way to um I don't think there's any way to reverse a degenerative brain condition. I think it's all about just being proactive. It's not one of those things that you can react to because it's so because it's so damaging and it's so detrimental to your health. And I mean, brain science as we know it already is not something that um, doctors are too knowledgeable of. So it's like it's this ever evolving battle between the football between you know football between football leagues and between um medical medical um medical professionals as well i think i'm gonna call it it was a short stream today a short podcast today but i really just like do not have all of my facilities with me right now so you know really just wanted to come on talk about the nets current situation and what's going on with that hopefully when you know this picks up again next week there is some additional stuff to talk about but as always, thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with me today. And I know it wasn't the cleanest episode just because of like my fucking brain being mushy right now. But everything I'm associated with is linked in some description box somewhere beneath me. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow the Twitch channel. I go live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. If you're listening to this as a podcast, leave a like, leave a rating, leave a review. Tell a friend about it if you enjoyed the episode. Tell a friend about it if you didn't enjoy the episode because all press is good press. And with that, I will catch you guys in the next one.